Hello, it's just me today. We talk about fair use, among other things. But first, there's an article on uh, dark reading that I was very glad to see. Uh, I expected to see this years ago. Insure cyber insurance companies are now presenting companies with self-reporting audit documents, um, asking you to demonstrate in detail how you have protected yourself from ransomware, which I thought might be the way this would really get improved. Um, and they will do things like demand to know how you, exactly how you're implementing two-factor authentication and exactly what group policies you have on your domain controller. I think this is a very good idea. Uh, this uh, I, this is how most uh, security procedures end up being popular as insurance companies demand them. So in principle, it's a good idea. It seems very logical to me. I think the insurance companies have been suffering great losses selling cyber insurance at all because they have been very poor at estimating how much damage will be done. And the damage from ransomware is getting ridiculous. So this is quite logical to raise the rates and then offer lower rates to people who meet your security standards. It's also moving in the direction of security metrics, which is something we've been missing all along, which is the process of converting cybersecurity from an art into a science. If we could actually quantify how many dollars will you save by just obeying these top 10 rules or such thing, that would really be a great step forward. I don't know to what extent it's possible, but the insurance industry is in the business of developing that science. So hopefully this will work. I was very surprised to read <clears throat> on the register that the United States regards risk five as an American technology and they're trying to block it. China has access to it as part of their export bans. I thought risk five was open. And in fact, so do a lot of people involved in risk five. Apparently risk five was developed in 2010 by researchers at the University of California, Berkeley. But then it's an open course standard, and there is an international Risk Five organization that actually moved their headquarters out of the United States into Switzerland, anticipating that as into, precisely as happened, the United States government would claim that they own it and claim that they can limit what countries are allowed to use it. So uh, we will see what happened. Already, China has been developing their own um, version of Risk Five. Uh, anticipating a ban from the United States. So uh, this uh, hopefully open standard may not succeed in remaining open as the United as the world splits into dividing factions. We'll see what comes of that. There's a <clears throat> a new feature in Android I was unaware of that if you load a app, not from the app store, but from an APK file, it puts it in a sort of sandbox called restricted settings. Now, restricted settings doesn't sound terribly powerful, but it blocks two permissions that are commonly abused by malware. Um, those being uh, hmm, permissions I didn't understand immediately. Um, accessibility settings and the notification listener. So anyway, apparently those are used to escalate privileges later. Anyway, there's now a form of malware that installs itself using a different internal process than the one normally used to install directly from an APK and thus bypasses that. So there is a bypass from that security uh, sandbox feature, but it still seems like a pretty good idea. And uh, there's always a bypass. Microsoft is going to roll out 
enforced multi-factor authentication for their cloud service admin portals. This will apply to Entrada, Microsoft 365, Exchange, and Azure. And they're going to roll out a policy that will be in, an, in a report-only mode for a period of time, I think 90 days, and then it's going to turn to enforcement, where it forces you to use two-factor authentication. So everybody administering these Microsoft services better be aware of this. If you don't specifically tell them you want to avoid two-factor authentication, you're going to be slammed into two-factor authentication, which I think is probably a good thing in the long run. But um, it has been shown very, very uh, clearly that it is very expensive and difficult to employ two-factor authentication across an enterprise. Now, putting it just for the administrators is probably relatively easy and reasonable to expect at this point. Rolling it out enterprise-wide for every account, especially including service accounts, is essentially impossible for service accounts. But anyway, um, this is a good step forward, I think. We really need to get beyond single-factor authentication. And here's the one that I decided was the most fun. It came up yesterday couple of days ago in a discussion with my students in machine learning class. Um, so Microsoft and now OpenAI uh, Open have indemnified their customers saying, if you use our AI products and then get sued for copyright infringement, we will protect you. Now, I don't know to what extent that protection will in fact work, but it does raise a huge issue, which is seen reported as the number three issue of cloud security that people are afraid, another three issue with AIs is people are afraid if you use them, you will be sued for getting the products that are produced. So now um, the Pixel, petapixel.com has an article explaining their argument with quotes from their lawyers and stuff, how they are claiming they can get away with this. And they are claiming that if they take an AI model and train it on all the pictures you put on the web, that is fair use. That is not copyright infringement. Now, that seems to me to be a patently outrageous argument, but um, they have probably expensive lawyers. Maybe they'll find some way to sell this. Uh, you know, the, if you take a look at Open Diffusion, for example, it um, it will find, say, a bunch of Picassos online. It will take those Picassos and learn that add blur to them in 1,000 steps and then train an AI to remove blur from a blurry Picasso. And then they can start with random noise and de-blur it and create random Picassos. That's how uh, stable diffusion works. And so that process, it seems to me, is very much like forging an artwork. Forging the style of someone else, I, I guess you could claim you created an original artwork, but it does seem like you, you pretty much copied the other and then sold it for money. Well, anyway, that's why it's... Uh, this is what's going to be rolling through the courts. And the damages seem like they could be enormous. So anyway, it's interesting to read these articles. They have arguments claiming this is fair use, falling squarely in line with established precedents, recognizing that use of copyrighted material by technology innovators in transformative ways is entirely consistent with copyright law. So we will find out. And if they lose that, they will have to pay a lot. <clears throat> but uh, they're betting that they make enough money to cover it, which is probably true. So there are refund gangs. Uh, if you order everything from Amazon and other online retailers, frequently it doesn't show up or it gets stolen off your porch or it shows up damaged. So you can demand a refund. And there are uh, Telegram and uh, Reddit groups of refund fraud gangs 
that will explain to you how to just order things and then lie and say you didn't get it and get a refund or a replacement and then either sell one or just have one for free. So uh, this is happening quite a lot. And they say they sold almost a million dollars from Amazon and millions of dollars from other retailers. So it's a form of fraud I hadn't thought of. I wonder how they protect themselves. I would think they would protect themselves just by not letting one customer have too many refunds. But uh, there are probably ways around that. Anyway, it's a thing to be aware of. And uh, the BBC has an article saying, I blew the whistle on Meta. Now I won't work again. This is a worker there. Um, Arturo Bejar worked at Meta, and he claims that he was involved in trying to protect teenagers using Meta. And he claimed that internal statistics showed that one in eight 13 to 15-year-olds experienced an unwanted sexual advance on Instagram within a week. And he felt like the ability of uh, the user to report these and get these people that are making sexual advances towards children blocked or punished in some way was insufficient, and they needed to have a simple button. And he claimed he talked to uh, top executives at Meta and got promises to fix it, and then they just never fixed it. Um, this is in tune with the many other complaints about Meta, that they have internal studies that show that their Instagram in particular is doing harm to teenagers, but they're making so much money, they just you know, shrug uh, those concerns under the rug and keep going. So we'll see um, what comes of this. And the last one I thought was quite useful. I heard about it on the Daily Beans podcast and I went and looked it up. The rolling See, I've heard a lot of news reports on the normal news channels saying Trump is stupid, his lawyers are crazy, he's just antagonizing anger on in court and taking completely unreasonable uh just making a fight in a totally unnecessary way, he must be out of control. And that seemed hard to believe. And I, the Rolling Stone has a much better analysis, which says they asked lawyers and lawyers have said, look, he's already lost the case. He knows he's going to get a ruling he doesn't like and he's going to have to appeal it. And so it is a uh, one strategy you can employ, guided by lawyers, is to deliberately provoke the judge, making him angry to make him make mistakes. And they say, this has worked before. If you can make the judge angry enough, he will make eventual mistakes, angry rulings, and then you have something to appeal on. So that does seem to be a strategy. It's not that he's simply stupid. And that, of course, would fit with his personality, where he just likes to aggressively attack people and throw mud on them. So uh, it's a very interesting analysis. And they claim this is uh, backed up by knowledge from members of the Trump legal team. And it does make sense. So it's uh, too easy for people on the left to say Trump is just crazy or deranged or stupid, when I think it's not that simple at all. I mean, it's clear that he is the world's genius at um, a form of social engineering based on reality TV, based on making himself a spectacle at all times and keeping the camera focused on him and provoking everybody with outrageous statements, which is part of his strategy for success. And his imitators, like Elon Musk, are doing the same thing and having enormous success. Elon Musk holds his stock price at easily 10 times what the fundamentals justify by making himself a celebrity and making sure that he's in the headlines every couple of days. So he remains famous. This is how you create fame and become an influencer and uh, make sure that everybody is always talking about you. It is uh, an effective social engineering technique. 
So I always thought, you know, Trump should be a, a headliner at DEF CON explaining social engineering because he is the world's champion at social engineering. He has achieved to become the most powerful man in the world based on absolutely nothing but bluster and lies. An amazing skill. Anyway, uh, that's it for this one. I'll have another one on Friday.